0: Welcome to this episode of the Charlie Paparelli Show. I am Charlie Paparelli, and today's show's title is The Making of an On-Mission Leader. To be sure not to miss an episode, I'll ask you to go to paparelli.com and simply subscribe by submitting your email address. You'll receive these uh, notices for these interviews that I do on a weekly basis, and you'll also get as a bonus my Tuesday morning blog for entrepreneurs. This show is all about entrepreneurs. helping this is, a show is all about helping entrepreneurs build fast-growing and valuable companies. And to that end, I interview leaders like I have today as one of my guests, who create high performance organizations. My guest today is Arthur Washington. He is the uh, Mr. Washington is the principal of KIP, Atlanta Collegiate High School. And um off of I20 in the Atlanta area I met him at a fundraiser for Kip. He uh, he was one of the keynote presenters at this fundraiser. I was so impressed by his personal vision, by his leadership, but most importantly what really drew me in was his dedication to changing the lives of his students for the better. He wants to put their their lives on a different trajectory for the rest of their lives so that they have high impact in our society wherever they are and wherever they might serve. So in short, I always I saw Mr. Washington as a great leader, and I knew that if we talked at some depth, which we'll do here, that I'm going to learn a lot, and I hope you learn a lot too with me. So welcome, Mr. Washington, and thank you for joining me and helping my audience of entrepreneurs succeed.
1: No Problem, no problem. Thank you for
0: having me on today. Oh, you're gonna be great. And uh, Mr. Washington or author, he gave me the uh permission to call him Wash. So, what were the what did you say the students call you? They either call me Baba Wash or just Wash
1: for short or Mr. Wash. Did you say Baba? What's what? Baba Wash and Baba. How do you spell that? B A B A and Baba, Baba. Okay. yeah. So, so Baba means father in most African native languages. So Swahili, Zulu, oh, okay. um, and all things of that of that nature. So that's where Baba comes from. And for a lot of my scholars, I am the father figure for them. And while they're in my building, and in and in, in reach, I do consider myself to be their father.
0: Wow, is that that doesn't seem to be the way I, I can't imagine most principals think of themselves as the father of their, the students in the student body. Is that true or is, is this unique for you? I, I, I mean, I can,
1: I can only be authentic to who I am. Um, <laughs> I remember when I first transitioned to principal, um, I had the discussion um, with our regional leaders to where it's like, I'm going to be my natural self. I only know who to be, who I was made to be and how I'm led to be. So um, I always tell people that this wasn't a personal assignment. I didn't chase to be an educator. I never thought I would ever be an educator, let alone be an administrator that went from a regular teacher to an assistant principal to now a principal, this is truly a divine assignment um
0: this this is truly a calling, so so you um, didn't you didn't you didn't want to get into sort of higher levels of administration within the school system. No, nah, no, I did not started as a teacher, and then off you went, and here you are a principal. Those <laughs> are very different responsibilities
1: yeah uh, yeah that's you're you're absolutely right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Tell us a little bit. I'm going to get a, bit, a little bit into your background, how you got into education, all that. But tell us so people understand, what is KIPP? Right. You know, so, and um, uh, tell us a little bit about your high school after that. You know,
1: Yeah. So um, KIPP is a national charter school organization um, that uh, started in the mid 90s in Houston, Texas. And um, then they branched out to Bronx, New York. And now we've grown to over 252 schools across the nation. Um, Kip came to Atlanta in 2003, opening Kip Ways Academy and Kip South Fulton Academy. And the whole mission of um, of um, Kip is to create a rigorous learning environment for our scholars, but to also create a different environment for our scholars, whereas they are cared about, they are you know loved on, and we are investing in them as people, not just scholastic data and things of that nature. We are really invested on the people that they become.
0: And it's that was hard. part of that. That was part of the KIPP vision originally. Yes. When they got started. Yes. Okay. What did they see? What did KIPP see that they, they felt that what, what problem, uh, if you go back to the KIPP founders, you say, what problem did yeah. you see that you thought it was worthwhile to devote your lives to? Yeah. Because so it, 250 schools now. I mean, that's a this thing has turned over 20 years. It's turned, especially it's just only 20 years in Atlanta. Right. 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 We yeah. have turned 20 this year in Atlanta. OK. So, so you know, what, what do you think? What what do you think that these guys would have said? What problem did they see that needed to be solved? Yeah. So it is is
1: actually funny because my wife was a actually founding scholar in the, in the KIP school in New York in the mid 90s. And one of the things that they saw is that in underserved communities, scholars was not they were not getting an equitable um, educational experience than the more fluent um, areas. So um, they felt the need to like start this um, charter school that actually put in extra work. They started earlier and they ended their school day a little later. And they they also went to school on um, Saturdays as well. And outside of just focusing on just um, academic values, they also, you know, focus on character values and um, things of that nature. So that was the void that they saw um, as they sought to... Were they minorities? Excuse me? Were the founders minorities? Um, Ironically, no, they were not. But... They did surround themselves with a team of um, experienced minorities like Harriet Ball. She was a true trailblazer for like the Mm -hmm. whole KIPP mission, um, who was a female African-American educator for years, and she helped them come up with the structure um, and the blueprint for uh, KIPP. So a lot of the things and practices that you see today came from, again, a trailblazer by the name of Harriet Ball.
0: That's interesting. So sometimes we do see a problem and maybe we're not part of that community. We've kind of brushed up against it. We see a problem. And I've seen a lot of people create ministries and things where they're now going to solve the problem for that community. Mm -hmm. Well, they never came out of that community. Right. They don't understand. They might be able to define it at a high level, but they don't understand the cultural uh, issues—that's sort of the fabric of it. That—that that how you solve it. That's interesting. That these guys, what they did is—and I'm saying, guys, I didn't mean to say it that. It could be these people. I'll say I don't know. Right. You know, they—they—they uh, they, they enlisted people from the community as leaders right. to make their to really put the program together.
1: Yeah, and I can, and I, I think you made a, made a great point there. I think that's what makes Metro Atlanta so unique. Um, especially in my school in particular, where I'm the principal, um, I actually grew up in this neighborhood. I am a product of the 30314 zip code. I'm a product of the West side of Atlanta. Like my great grandmother's house is less than a mile away from my school where I frequently rode my bike around this neighborhood, rode the MARTA bus and things of that nature. And I think that plays a key part in the culture that I'm building here at the school to whereas I can connect to every stakeholder where I can connect to parents. I can connect to scholars. I can, I can connect to community members. I can, I can connect to entrepreneurs here um, just because I understand the culture of the city and the, and the community in which we serve. Well, me so, tell
0: me, You opened the door to this and I'm glad that you did. Okay. okay. Let me, give me, bring me back to where you grew up. Okay? okay. And what it was like for you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Again, I'm I'm from Atlanta. I of course up- we're all, we become the man we become the men that were first children. Right. You know, right. so we've got a lot of experiences that we take along and some of us don't do well with those. And some of us build on them and actually use them to serve others, you know, and you yeah. seem to be that one. OK, so tell me. A little, so go ahead. So go back. I know you could start with, you know, I started as a child, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I I, I grew up, in, dad, any of the parents, anything, family, all that, you know, give me that background. Yeah, so I I grew up in Atlanta um, on the west
1: side of Atlanta in the Lakewood community, um, Polar Rock neighborhood. And um, what year would that have been? I grew up. I was born in 81, okay. 1981, So I'm a I'm an eighties baby. Um, what are you? My, Yep, I'm a I'm an 80s baby. I'm forty-one now. 80s baby. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 80s, 80s baby. I've and, got three um, kids
0: that are 80s babies, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So we great people. Um <laughs> You are. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> so um most of my family all stayed in the same house. And what I mean by most of my family stayed in the same house, I'm talking about my grandmother, I'm talking about my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. Um and it was a lot of us that stayed in one house. Um, I didn't, I didn't get a bed until maybe 10th grade. Um, so up until that point, it was just sleeping in the living room with all my cousins, um, you know, on pallets and things of that nature. And that was just life. Like I didn't think nothing of it. I just thought that that's how life was because that was like pretty much the norm in our community. Um, everybody was happy. Uh, it was, it was always fun times, but, um, we didn't really have much. And I also, I often tell people I did not know that I was poor until I went off to college. Um, and the reason, yeah, I, I really didn't know because everyone that I grew up around, we either had the same or the same things we just did not have. So, um, it was when I went out to college and I realized like, it's, it's people that are well to do out there and <laughs> didn't grow up well to do. Um, but that wasn't a barrier for me. Um, I, I, I took education very serious.
0: Um, well, you made it sound like, you know, where you grew up, everything was fine. Yeah. You it, know, it, it, uh, there, there was, there wasn't, didn't you get, uh, wasn't there influences of, uh. Sort of, I'll we'll call as evil people, you know, gang members, and uh, you know, there's there's always that, no matter what neighborhood you're in. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor, you know. But there seems to be uh, those influences that are always up there. As a young man, you know, I'm sure. And you didn't mention that your. What about your father? You never mentioned your father living in that house. Yeah, my my my, my father lived lived there. Um,
1: you you know, we had an interesting a relationship, but um, my father was present. Um, and when you speak of like, you know, distractions and things of that nature, I think it could be any zip code, um, anywhere to where you're going to have barriers, you're going to have alcoholics, you got to have drug dealers, you're going to have drug users. And I think right. sometimes you have certain neighborhoods that get plagued or labeled as that to where it's the same things is happening in Buckhead. It just looks different.
0: So, right. um, I, I have bet to, you if you ask any kid, name name the high school, you know, like Love It or Westminster and all that. If you ask any kid, you know, where can I score some marijuana or where could I get some whatever it is, I bet you they know. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And but. you know,
1: I, I I I saw those things growing up. Like I I saw drug dealers, you know, I, I saw pimps, I saw things of of that nature. I saw run down houses. Um and And things of that nature, but the message was always told to me: make it out of here, like make it out the neighborhood, make it into
0: a better. I I mean, that was just what my parents were telling. If you want to make some real money, forget school. Probably, why don't you join me? Right? No, and
1: see that, uh -uh. and see that's. I think that's a story that gets misconstrued. Okay, well, help me with that. yeah, Yeah. So I actually had drug dealers that used to check to see my report card. Um, and you know, if I had, and and this true story, if I had good grades, they would give me money. And, um, I remember one time, and this is, and this is why I love the eighties and I love Atlanta in the eighties and the nineties is cause I remember one time I said, Hey, I want to be out here making money just like you. I want to be just like you. And you know, um, it how me old up. were you? You remember how old you were when you made that comment? I couldn't have been no older than seven years old. Isn't that something? You know,
0: because they're role models and they do have stuff that you don't yeah. have, right? Yeah. They got some money, right? Yeah, right. They, it was
1: it was the shiny things, it was the status that I thought I wanted, and yeah. um, you know, I was pulled to the side and say, "I don't, I don't ever want to hear you say that again."
0: I'm not. They told me that the drug dealer would tell you that.
1: Yeah, said, you know, I, I, I don't ever want to see you doing what I'm doing. I'm one of the most loneliest people in the world. I always got to watch my back. I always got to worry about, you know, this and that and the other, you know, and I had brothers that was drug dealers. All of my brothers was drug dealers. I was the only one. Why, that did, they
0: make, why did your brothers make those choices? I mean, they weren't the drug dealers telling your brothers the same, but weren't your brothers to being told the same message you were being told by the drug dealers? In other words, you um, don't want to do that. Well, Yes, and
1: like yes and no, but at some point in time, you make the decisions for yourself to make fast money and to get in that lifestyle. So I do think it came a point in time to whereas you still had a responsibility to the community. To to whereas if we do have someone that can make it out, that can make it to the next level, we're going to protect that. Like anytime the community
0: ever, protects that, yeah, yeah. So the community which includes these drug dealers, okay, is making a decision who has the capability to get out and who doesn't?
1: Well, I'm not going to say capability because everyone has capability.
0: Like, how, well, right. Like, so how do they judge, you know, how did they judge to say, look, man, you don't want to do what I'm doing yet. They look at somebody else and say, the door's open. You should just sort of work with me. Yeah. Why, I mean, why I, you? That's what I'm trying to get to. is why yeah, you? I, I, I think
1: around the age of seven. I was I was the youngest boy cousin, all right. So I was always <laughs> around people older than me, um, and I would engage in conversations. I would always want, I was always asking a, a million questions. I always wanted to know the why and the how and like it was like yo, it's something about this brother that he just sharp, right? So, you know, I, I was I was I was protected, man. I was like the jewel of the community, and um, it was a lot of us that was just young and. I do think my community protected the young until you got to a certain age where you can make certain decisions on your own. I think what happened with some of my family members when you got to the teenage years, once you made that choice, like folks was always told, do you know what you're getting yourself into? Like once you make this decision, there ain't no turning back and things of that nature. Like I have a brother that's deceased, right? I have a brother that was murdered. Really? So, yeah, I... I, I was
0: he when he died?
1: Um, I was in the sixth grade. So I was maybe 10 years old, 10 or maybe 11 years old. So, you know, he made that choice. You know, he was, he was, he was 20 years old when that happened.
0: Oh, um, So. I how do does say, that, how does that, so here you are, you were in, you said sixth grade? Sixth grade. Yeah. Which, fifth or sixth? Sixth? Sixth. All right. So that's, that's 10, eleven. That's almost twelve years old, right? Twelve thirty, yeah. I was
1: anywhere between ten and eleven. I, I know I wasn't.
0: Yeah, 10, 11 years old. Like, how does that? How did that impact you? Um, it was a huge
1: impact. I mean, you know, that was Big Brother. You know, that was someone that you looked up to. Uh, yeah. You You know, that was someone that you you know imitated and you emulated. So, um, you know, it it was it had a huge impact on me. You know, because that was family, but. I will say it's like loss ended up becoming normal. And when I say loss, you can have loss. I've seen loss happen in three ways, whether it was by death, either it was by um, being incarcerated, or it was even by, um, you know, being under the influence of a substance. That okay. Be, drugs are so like lost. Happened.
0: Lost to addiction is right. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you know, I've 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 seen that a lot throughout my life. So I also think it was a blessing too that I was the youngest boy cousin because I saw a lot, and I'm a observer. I observe my surroundings. I observe who I'm around. I glean the good things. I glean the bad things, and I make
0: decisions. So a lot of the do you think do you think that you're unique? Being an observer, you think that's sort of a God-given ability kind of thing. Do you see yeah, friends probably. that you grew up with were they observers too, or they just were kind of going with the flow? No,
1: I, I I think everybody is blessed with some of the same traits. I think they observe some of the same things that I observe, but I do yeah. think that we are we are blessed with a different type of boldness, and I had a different type of boldness to whereas. I was bold about saying I'm going to go to school and I'm going to make good grades. I'm going to go to
0: school and I'm going to be smart. Um, why? Anyway. Why you, why did you make that kind of statement? Cause there was a lot of people that you grew up with in your family, and outside your family that didn't. Yeah. I mean, it was,
1: it was, it was just one of those things to where I'm going to uniquely be myself. Um, I was unique anyway. I mean, there was, there was certain barriers that I had to overcome anyway. Like, Um, I had a speech impediment. I still have a speech impediment to where I, I stuttered. So, um, you know, that was even frustrating in itself, but it was like, I'm going to fight. I'm going to get through this and, you know, I'm going to progress. So, um, it was, it was, it was always something to get over, but I'm one of those to where I embrace obstacles. I embrace challenges.
0: Um, I love being the underdog, um, did you, have, did you have somebody – was this a decision that one of these three paths is not going to be mine, right? Yeah. All right? So because they're all negative, bad paths, especially the path of death, all right? So death, incarceration, and addiction, they're right in front of you every day. From seven years old, when you start thinking, seeing what's going on out there, you start getting up. You start getting horrible circumstances, um, like your brother dying. Okay, um, you know, had it, was there anybody that was it really just you that made that decision that I'm sort of I'm going to move out, or was there influences in your life that sort of brought you along to say you should think this way? cannot go with this flow okay
1: yeah I mean I was I was very close to my mother and grandmother
0: okay um you know
1: my mother did you know graduate high school early she went to Booker T Washington High School also on the west side of Atlanta she ended up going to Wibbleforce um and then it was a real bad tornado in um in Ohio then she ended up going to Fisk and then she left Fisk and went to Morris Brown, but she didn't finish her last semester. So oh my gosh. She was pretty close. Yeah. So she only had 20 credit hours left, less than 20 credit hours left. So she there was really, a
0: smart young lady though, and she was ambitious too.
1: Very, like, very smart, you know, yeah. um, brilliant actually. But she never wanted me to feel the same regrets that she had. And meaning being so close and not finishing something. So she really instilled this sense of urgency about like finishing what you start and just, you know, it being your best. I like, I, re- I remember I can make an A on a test and say, I make a 93. I bring it home. I'm excited. Cause I got a 93. She's like, okay, why didn't you get a 95? <laughs> like, but I got the highest grade in the class. She's like, that's in the class, but you're my only son. So it's like, you got to come home to me. You're my only son in that class. So why didn't you make a 95? I make a 95. I come home and yeah, I made a 95. Great. Why didn't you make a 98? Right. So she just kept pushing me and it Man, she was always moving the bar higher and higher. And, and it was, it was still all anchored in love though. You know, you know, the, 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 the same way with my grandmother, like she always spoke life into me. She's like, you know, I know we say, we tell kids often that you can be anything that you want to be and do anything that you want to do. But, she said it in a way that you believed it and you was convinced that you can
0: what did she used to did, what what did your mother and 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 or grandmother uh, say that you were going what what vision did they say they saw for you i always, i'm a big believer yeah. that a mother and i know you're a father now okay yeah. but i'm a real big believer that mothers and grandmothers are prophets into the lives of their children and their grandchildren yeah, they've prophesied, and it's always right. They can see it; it's amazing. So, what did what did your mother and grandmother prophesy for little Arthur?
1: So it's 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 funny because <laughs> my mother used to tell me all the time, like, "You don't know what's on your mantle. Your 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 mantle is heavy, and you have great things on your mantle. And when you put your mantle on, you're gonna wear it with pride." And I didn't know what a mantle was. Like I didn't know. I'm I'm thinking you talking about on the window or a fireplace. Like we don't even have a fireplace. What are you talking about wearing a mantle? <laughs> so I never understood what a mantle was. She would always use that language. She like when it's time for you to understand, you will understand. So, you know, as I got older, um, and, and you know, and I started to mature, um, in my spiritual walks, I started doing a lot of reading, and I learned the significance of a mantle. Um, and wearing a mantle, and like tell me about it, yeah, so i i i I figured out what she meant it was it was in a figurative sense, and when I walk out every day, like my mantle is heavy, meaning that there are high expectations for me, um mm. that the path is already etched out for me, and you will be a leader, you will do great things, you will overcome all of these things, and you have to be ready and prepared to do those things, so
0: they told you that,
1: yeah and told me, yeah. like, you just oh, have to move it. differently. You have to talk differently. Like you have to be bold in like certain, you know, certain ways in certain areas. And I didn't understand it then. Um, because growing up, I had to be bold. I had to be tough in another sense. Like you had to carry yourself in a bold way, just so you wouldn't get taken, you would not get taken advantage of. And I was, I was always that person. I always walked, in a bold way, like even in school, I re- I remember getting suspended because I fought a kid for disrupting the teacher's lesson. Nobody was you, you were you were you were defending the teacher? I was defending the teacher. She was trying to teach. <laughs> um, it was it was a young car it was a young Caucasian woman. She she couldn't have been no more than twenty four years old, short, small in stature, and <laughs> it's a bunch of kids that look like me. And she was timid, and you know, people, people, people can feel that energy. So, oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. you know, kids, I, especially, man, if, yeah. they, if they, if they smell that in the air, they yeah. own it. So, okay. You
1: know, I, I got up, I said, hey, man, like, I'm really trying to get an A out of this class. I really need y'all to shut up and listen, be quiet so we can move forward. You know, and somebody said something back. And next thing you know, I'm in the office because <laughs> the kid got a black eye and I'm like, yo, I'm just trying to learn. <laughs> you know, I just want to learn. So What grade so, was that? This, this was ninth grade. This was my freshman year. And okay. So um, I say all that to say is like the seeds that was planted in me were not planted in vain. Um, and that meant something to me. Even the ones that wasn't the best examples in my life still planted seeds. And I think that wasn't in vain. Like they saw something in me that was that was probably the possibility of them. And they wanted to know that they at least contributed to something or someone that was going to be good and great. And I truly believe in that. I believe that, you know, God uses everybody, you know, even the ones that we may shun sometimes, even the ones we may, yeah. you, you know, point the finger at and say, hey, you're doing a bad thing. Um, I think that's so unique about, you know, the God we serve or the people yeah. that we serve.
0: When you were growing up, tell me, did you ever get close um, with the wrong decision, a decision that would have put you in a wrong position? Tell me a story about that where. I mean, it it was, it was, it was, I I mean. You were surrounded by it, you know, it's just, so I'm wondering, you know, you you make it sound like, yeah, my mom, my grandmother, they were behind me. Uh, The drug deals were on my side. It was all perfect. I just was uh, walking a straight line. I'm going to be a smart guy and get out of here. You know, it's like, I know nothing's like that. That is just not life, okay? Never. I mean, (laughs) life is compromised of decisions,
1: mistakes, and triumphs, right? And, you know, I've, I've made my share of mistakes to, you know, to whereas I was in places that I wasn't supposed to be or I was in places where I was supposed to be. Um, but those were decisions that I made. And, you know, one thing I can say that I did was I tried to learn from every mistake. Um, and I really tried not to make the same mistake twice.
0: When you look back in life, was there that, but I'm trying to get to, was there a point where you said, I could have cut left and man, think of where I would have ended up? Yeah, Definitely. I, I
1: think I think it was
0: plenty. What was, what was that circumstance that you were faced with where you made the decision not to go left? But man, you were close. It, it was because I have those in my life, right? Yeah. You know, we all do. All right, so it, it was. What it, was yours? It was. And how old were you? It was plenty. <laughs> I was, <laughs> there were
1: plenty. It, it 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 was because I if if we're being honest again life is compromise of decisions and mistakes and triumphs. So even from, you know, the age of seven of where I was, I was talking about, you know, there was plenty of times where we go into the store to whereas we see what we want, but we don't have the money to get it. You know, are we going to take it? You know? And it was, it was, it was times that I took from the store. Did I get caught for it? No, I didn't get caught for it, but was it right? No, it wasn't right. You know, it was. And so because you didn't get caught for it, you do it again. And then, you know, hey, how I thought I always try to generate a, a, another um, a, 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 a come up from one situation where well, I can take this. I could probably sell it to somebody. Hey, you want some candy? Here, I got it. It's per profit. For yeah. me. Like, that's how I thought about it. It's per profit. I took this. Yeah. I paid nothing for it. I charge you 50 cent. Now I didn't came up 50 cent. So now I can go buy me yeah. something. Right. And that just kind of spirals to 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 where it's like there's, there's 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 a lot of decisions that we've made in life that could have took us that could have took us left. Well, How would
0: you get off just using that example? Because I can give you examples where I did the very same thing. OK, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So what made you what made you say, I just can't keep doing this? You know, at some point I remember I have a friend of mine who said, you know, I remember he was like seven or eight years old and he said, um, he got asked a question by somebody, and he lied, and he said, "I remember walking away and saying, "Oh my God, I'm a liar." yeah, <laughs> you know you could say, Oh my God, I'm a thief, you know that's I don't want to be a thief, right? My mom would kill me if she found out I was a thief, <laughs> even being considered a thief part,
1: it was the part of what would my mama say what would my mama think? Ah, uh, yeah." Like, yeah, she'll be mad. She'll like kill me like, and she'll whoop me. But, you know, whoopings are temporary. They hurt temporarily. But to know that I would bring this honor to my mother or to break my mother's heart will last longer than a whooping. So it was the love and honor that I had for those that loved me that made me make the decision to as I never wanted to put them in a position that would bring this honor to them.
0: She must have. Uh, she must have been some woman. Oh, She's still
1: alive. No, I, I I lost my mother young. I lost my mother when I was 19 years old. I was in college. Oh my yeah.
0: gosh, that's terrible. She was such a wonderful lady, and she poured yeah. that loyalty uh, in you to say wherever you go, you represent me and everybody that we love. Mm-hmm. That's a great message. That's something that I think that we we uh, as children we don't think that way. We think it's just all about us, not realizing that when we do something, it washes all the way back onto our parents, our siblings, and our grandparents, yeah, sort of yeah, and it's like you know you're the one that raised this kid, you know, kind of thing, you know, and you're like, "Wait a minute, I never thought that that would hurt my mom <laughs> you know? and i
1: i I want to push you even further to whereas i'm gonna go back to the sense of community, mm-hmm. um. Even in how I lead the school, I really wanted to bring, I really wanted to be someone that brought honor to my community because we were always looked down upon. Um, By whom? As this is the rough side of the city and things of that nature, just by society. I mean, it was, it was, it was the the place that you
0: didn't want to drive through. Right.
1: Right. It was the good parts of town and it was the bad parts of town that you didn't get caught up. And it's like, I can be the somebody that brings honor to this community. Like one story that I would, I will tell you, you know, like, like I was telling you before, I did not know I was poor until I went to college And I went to school on a band scholarship. So I'm sitting in jazz band practice and the jazz band director, Fred Irby comes up and say, Hey, we're going to Japan in the spring. Make sure y'all have your passports. So (laughs) I'm a freshman. I don't know no better. I turn to an upperclassman and I say, Hey, where do you buy a passport at? (laughs) And he looked at me like, Hey, prof, where you find this guy? He only know what a passport is. (laughs) And the shame and embarrassment I felt because I did not know what a passport is. I had never right. met anyone that left the country outside of my aunt who was in the military. So I've never I,
0: met anybody who needed a passport, right? right? So
1: <laughs> my idea of leaving the country, I'm thinking the only way you can leave the country is if you're in the military or you're in the Olympics or something like that. But nobody leaves the country. So when I did get into education, I vowed that none of my scholars would ever feel like that again. So what I started doing as band directors, as a band director, I started taking my band on international trips because we started with spring trips just nationally around the U.S., Florida, New York, Texas, all those things. But I'm like, I need to push it further. Let's go internationally. So we went to the Bahamas, Turks and Caicos, Trinidad and Tobago. went to South Africa twice. And I remember when we was in South Africa, I'm posting things on Facebook, videos and stuff, and I'm seeing all these reposts with people sharing my posts and like, yeah, we in Africa, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't, I didn't think nothing of it. And I come back to the old neighborhood one day I'm, I'm in the gas station. Of course I see people I grew up with. They're like, Hey man, but we proud of you, man. Like you doing your thing with the kids at the school. And, um, we went to Africa. I said, we, you were not there with me. I'm like, they're like, no, we went to Africa. When you went, you took us with you when you oh, post wow. on Facebook we went there and it was funny because one of my friends actually had his son come over and talk to me like, yeah, it's my friend. I told you that I grew up with, he grew up in the same, you know, neighborhood that we did, man. He the one that took all these kids to Africa. And it was at that point that it clicked to whereas I'm still a vessel for my community. I still made that connection to whereas they're still connected with me and I'm taking those people along with me, even if they're not there with me physically, I'm taking them there with me. Yeah, but that's
0: so. What you're doing is you're breathing. You're breathing just by by the the decisions that you made and the places that you go. Okay, and um, the risks that you take. In effect, you know, you breathe hope into the rest of the community. I mean, if he could do it, I could do it. Or if I I didn't do it, but maybe my kids can do it. Right? If he did it, right?
1: Right. So and that. Goes back to the vision of the school. There's a line in the vision of our school that says we, we would be the cornerstone of our community. And who came up with that? That that was that was actually a line that I came up with for our vision. But our vision was created by a number of the leaders of the school at the time. It's like four 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 or five years ago. So it was the assistant principal, the DOO, and other assistant principals. Okay. And the reason why I wanted. Cornerstone to be in there is like if you know anything about masonry or architecture, historically the first stone that was laid was that cornerstone. Even if you think right. about, uh, um, you know, places of faith, uh, cathedrals
0: of you know, worship places, no, you see them all the time with the when the building was built, right? This is the corner, it's, that it's cornerstone. the dedicated, stone.
1: but it's the first stone that's laid of any mm-hmm. any building. And that the purpose of that cornerstone is, you know, I know my grandma used to tell me all the time when I hear the the house cracking and things like that, oh, the house just settling. (laughs) As that structure settles, it leans on that cornerstone for balance. And this school will be the cornerstone of our community. Whenever our community needs to lean for balance, when our community needs to lean or glean for strength, we will be that. So we will always be that ray of hope and strength for our community. And that's how
0: I lead the school. And that's what you contributed four or five years ago, not as the principal, but just as one of the teachers in effect. Well, I was I was assistant
1: principal at the time,
0: but I was a founding. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: I was I was a founding teacher here at the okay. School. I'm, I'm the last day one founder. But how did you
0: so what what college did you go to? I went to Howard University.
1: You went the to Howard, yeah.
0: yeah. Historical a historical black college. A very famous one, yeah. That's yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. So when, so you're going there, did you go there to become an educator? I did not. Um, I majored in music business and production. Um,
1: Wanted to go into the music business, actually went into the music business. Um, I I, I traveled with some, with some artists as a musical director. I I wrote the music for the live instruments. I rehearsed the ensembles to to get them ready for the um, artists when they hit the stage. I did a lot of studio work with a lot of artists um and things of that nature so i was making good money and i was seeing the world so it
0: was it was i was living the dream exactly. like but it's funny you know you hang around with that crowd that's also a place where you can go off the rails oh yeah definitely <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of temptation yeah. when you get out into the in, in enemy it is uh, it's not a lifestyle
1: for the week and i i tell people that all the time <laughs>
0: It's, it's, it's not like, I've never heard anybody say that. What does that mean? It's not a lifestyle for the week. Who are the weak?
1: I mean, to your to your point that you just made, it, it, there's a lot of temptation. So no. if you if you don't strongly stand on something or stand for something, it's easy to succumb to all of the distractions and the temptations. Like, let's think about how many artists that we can think of that have succumbed to. Drugs, alcohol, or just the fast life. Even if they wasn't on drugs and alcohol, just the fast life of the nightlife and just being an being an, being an entertainer, there no, is a lot that comes with it.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of there's a lot of holes to fall into. Yeah. But you know, it's yeah. funny you mentioned it's still the same three holes, though, isn't it?
1: Yeah, wow. It it, 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 it really it. is. And but yeah. it's it's a lot of pressure to do that as well. Like I've. I performed in packed stadiums and I know the pressure I felt by just being a person in the background. Think about the pressure of the
0: person that's the headliner. Your name is on the marquee. So yeah, and then there's always, there's after, there's the after concert parties right yeah. now. Yeah. Every, all the big names show up and they all telling you how great you are. And, yeah. you know, and uh, women and everything. It's just a crazy place to be, you know, it's a, it's what if a, you Why did you, so tell me, sounds like it was a pretty good life and you were probably making some really good money. You're hanging around famous people, you know, who are making an enormous amount of money, right? Where did school, where did education come from? How did you make this? How do you go from A to B? I'm not following this, okay? So again, I tell everybody, this was, this
1: is a divine ordained assignment. Um, oh my gosh! Okay, so I got into education um because of, it was two parents that were founding parents at Kip Ways Academy. Just before I even came to Kip, I was on the road and things of that nature, and they set up Career Day for the school, and they wanted someone to come talk about the music business. You know, I was doing production and producing at the time. I'm like, all right, cool. I, I got you. Say less. I'm going to be there. Send me the date. I make sure I'm in town. And they're like, okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now I met them through a classmate. Their daughter was a freshman when I was a senior at Howard and she was from okay. Atlanta. So I took her under my wing, looked out for her, made sure she didn't get caught up in any trouble. And She was in a band with me. So that's how I became close with that family. So after I agreed to do the career day, they was like, yeah, we want to start a band at the school and we want you to do it. Because I was drum major. <laughs> right. So I led the band at Howard because I was drum major. I wrote a lot of music and things of that nature. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing education. Matter of fact, I left Howard saying I will never teach. I I I got my plan. I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm like, no, I'm not doing band, but I can find somebody to do it for you. Like, no, uh-uh, you need to do it. We want you to do it. You know. And we feel like you the one that's gonna do it. I'm like, I'm not teaching. I had to tell them in a very stern way, I'm not it's not happening. I'll come for a career day, but it's not happening. So I come for I come for a career day. The kids was great, like very respectable, things of that nature. And when I pulled up to the school <laughs> that it was at, and I recognized the address, but you know, sometimes you read the address, but you don't know where you're actually going. The school yeah. I pulled up to was actually a school I used to play basketball at. I used to shoot dice in the back of the school. Like, I did stuff at that school. I'm like, wow, we back here. So, <laughs> you know, I'm talking to the principal. You know, he's like, thank you so much for coming for career day. This was great. You know, the kids are excited. And, you know, these parents are telling me that you're the one that's going to start the band for us. I said, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry for the miscommunication, but I'm not doing it. He's like, is there any way I can convince you? I said, there's no way you can't convince me. Um I'm, I'm I'm in my lane right now. I'm fine. But it's funny how we have plans for ourselves but God has bigger plans. Um <laughs> as I was telling them no what I'm not going
0: to do. God God laughs at man's plans is oh, yeah. that the uh, yeah, that's what it is. I'm talking about
1: it's more than a chuckle, right? So <laughs> as I'm telling them no someone is at my home breaking into my home. And they stole every piece of studio equipment that I had.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So when I get home, I knew something was up because I see the mail stuck under the door. And I'm like, why would I put my mail on the on the table when you first walk through the front door? And I'm like, something ain't right. So I bust in the door and run down to where my studio was at. And it was just a ball of wires. Everything else was gone. Oh, man. And, you know, I drove around Atlanta just hot. How much? How much? How much was stolen? What was the value of all it? Was of that? over twenty five thousand dollars worth of equipment. Wow! And I wow. drove around Atlanta hot, trying to find out who took the equipment. So, you you talk about those turning points of when you could have went left. Yeah. I found out who did it. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now, Charlie. No kidding. You're gonna kill him. I, I, if not, I would have come close. Okay. <laughs> And I, but I, I probably would. And I, the money I used to purchase the equipment was money that my mother left me in her passing. So it oh was, my God. it was sentimental value attached to it. Yeah. Need, needless to say, I never found out who, who did it. Um, but I remember coming back home. It had to be like two, two days later. And I'm just sitting there and I'm sitting in my house. I'm seeing computers. Cause I had like three or four computers. I was seeing TVs, three or four flat screen TVs. They could have took anything, but they took my studio equipment and I took one of my childhood friends, man, to come over. He sat with me. Um, and my nickname as a kid was skeet, man. He was like, skeet look, bro, they stole your equipment, man, but they didn't steal the talent that God gave you, bro. Like, <laughs> that was just a tangible thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, you're right. But then he was like, Hey man, this just means something. I'm like, okay. And remember I said, God can use anybody. My friend wasn't someone that frequent going to church and walked around talking about God, but he referenced God in that moment. He's like, Hey man, God, just trying to tell you something. I don't know what it is, but all this means something. And like, all right, bro. And you know, he went home and I'm, those words stuck with me and I just heard and I felt in my spirit, like, this is my way of shaking you to say, like, you're going to be obedient to what my plans are for you. So you got a choice. Either you're going to follow the plans that I have for you and be obedient, or this is what life is going to look like for you. So, you know, I was, I was no stranger to like prayer. Like I prayed with my mom a lot. This,
0: when you said, or this is what life, God said, Or this is what life's going to look like for you. What did that side look like?
1: That side so looked like a bunch of disappointment. Like I, I tried to make my way. I, I, okay. I, I had my plans and I'm going to do things my way. You know, I was being stiff necked with pride. And, okay. you know, once I humbled myself, I called up the prince. I said, hey, man, you know, I thought about it. I'm going to give you out three years to start this band and I'm out of here. So he's like, all right, cool. Um, and as I got in it, I started seeing my purpose. My purpose was bigger than me being this huge music mogul. And yeah. I was still in music. It was just a different lane. And I was still able to do things in the music business. It just looked different. Like I was able to do commercials, jingles. I was, a, I was able to do, you know, soundtracks to film. So it was just a different lane.
0: But... Most importantly, what did you see? What did you see that made you feel like, man, this has got to be my purpose? What were those bits and pieces of vision, if you will, that that uh, sort of you looked at and you go, it got you off of where you thought you should go, and you started following where God sort of opened the door.
1: I saw who and what I needed as a child to other kids.
0: Oh, you gotta expand on that one that was good, okay
1: <laughs> What I needed was was someone that I could relate to as a as a kid um what I needed was someone that was gonna pour into me um by any means necessary on my great days and on my worst days. I needed someone that was always gonna keep it very transparent with me. And, you know, love on me, tough love, but also love on me at the same time. And I needed someone that was a product of my community, of my environment that looked different. And what I mean by looking different is the only ways to make it out is not by just, you know, selling a lot of drugs, making a lot of money or being this big athlete to make a lot of money or just... Just saying, you got to have a lot of money. It's just like just being an upstandable person that stands on something. Right? So I was relatable because I can talk to the kids about me standing at the Marta bus station and being robbed. But look at me, I'm here. You know, I can talk to them about going downtown, going to Walters and not having enough money to get some tennis shoes, but saving up to get the shoes and going back. Mm-hmm. You know, we had relatable stories, and they see me on the other side of it. Like they see a young black man that look like them, sound like them, but still
0: successful. It, yeah. it was it was a ray of hope. Who got away from that? Yeah, evil. it was the, the three the three holes in life, right? Yeah. You know that's where I could go. Yeah,
1: it was a ray of hope, and I and I and I never presented myself like I was better than anybody. I always presented myself as like we are we are equals, and I'm just like you. And a lot of my scholars, scholars, parents were people that I grew up with. So it was it was funny because, you know, I'm, I'm out doing this missile and I hear people calling my, my childhood nickname and it's one of the <laughs> parents of my scholars, you know, and it was good for them to see someone in that light too, like, man, like this was somebody I grew up with and this is what he's doing and he's playing seeds into my kids. So I was that person that I needed when I was young.
0: And I think that's what you me. said. Oh, my gosh, this is this is where God put me so I could be to them what I needed for me. Right. And I'm that guy now. And I could be that guy. When did you make the decision then to, to pull the trigger and say, OK, I'm in I'm in education. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> because you got to say no to the other piece. In order to say yes to this piece, don't I you? Think, I think that's the unique part.
1: I didn't. I still oh, okay. wasn't able to work in the music business. It was just a different lane. To so whereas I think that's where the obedience part comes from. Because had I not been obedient, I probably would have kept getting disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And I wouldn't have been happy with myself as opposed to like being faith based, stepping out on faith you know mountain moving must see faith right and saying <laughs> let me trust this i got this intangible payment but i also got blessed with these opportunities and let me stamp something that's very important for me in all seriousness this is what i tell every educator i say if you're in this for a consistent check and benefits and with the possibility of becoming wealthy get out of here right now. (laughs) Pack your stuff up and get out. And the reason why I say that is because there isn't enough money that anybody can pay me that's my worth in education. You're never going to pay me my worth. It's too much. It's too much. But the payment I get is when I know that I've changed a life for the better that would influence another life. What I know is that this life that that, that I've had influence on is going to go out into the world and make the world that much better. Because think about it. Some of my scholars are going to go off to be surgeons. They're going to go off to be lawyers. They're going to go off to be entrepreneurs that you're going to meet in the future, and they're going to make millions of dollars. I'm never going to be a millionaire, but I have to humble myself enough to know that I'm planting the seeds of those that will go further than me, make more than me, And things of that nature. So it's the intangible payments that I get that sustain me. How did you? How
0: long did it take you to be able to articulate that purpose?
1: Um, it really didn't take too long, man. Like,
0: (coughs) and but sometimes we're doing something, and somebody says, "You know, why are you doing this?" Yeah, and you, and this is the answer you just gave. I'm doing this because. God put me here to be that positive influence, that encourager for these young men and women to become great, become all that they can be in effect, right? To be all that they can be, yeah. to walk the right path and to be real contributors to society. That's a tremendous purpose. And you're right. We can't pay you enough. You, you, okay? You're right. And it's, and it's not just me. It's every educator.
1: Hmm. Any educator that comes in and, and does this lifestyle, because I don't call it work. My staff will tell you, I don't call what we do work. I call it a lifestyle because it has to be a lifestyle for you to really do it with fidelity and really be in. Is like what you're doing, there isn't a tangible financial amount that we can put on it.
0: Right. Because so are you still doing? Are you still doing the music side as you still as a principal? Yeah, i i i got a I got a whole keyboard and mic and little small studio <laughs> in my office. No, seriously. And no wonder you're so busy. You've been so hard to get in touch <laughs> with. It's not only all of the scholars and all your administrators that are all over you, but you've got this business on the side too. What are you doing? It's,
1: it's, it's also me playing that seed in my kids too. So I have a small group of scholars that I meet with. <laughs> every two weeks, I call it music moguls, where we come <laughs> in here and I, you know, I show them how to use music equipment. I show them how to become producers. You know, I show them how to, you know, how to rap, oh, how to write God. rap and how to sing and things of that nature. And we record and they make songs. And, you know, I try to teach them the business in a responsible way, you know? So I think that's another reason for my purpose too. It's like, I'm not your traditional principal.
0: I'm just so. How did you, So tell me this. Now that you are the principal, <laughs> so you made that commitment to be in education, and then people there. It seems to me that people along the way, you started. Somebody was attracted to you that said, "You need to be our music teacher, right? Yeah. You need to kind of keep the." And then from there, people started seeing uh, you as a leader. These are people in in with authority and more powerful positions, right? What did they see in you that made you move from, would you go from teacher to what was the next? I went from being a
1: teacher to like a department chair, regional leader, you know, being an assistant principal to now principal.
0: Right. So, man, that's and that's over a period of how long? I'm going into my 18th year. So
1: I became an assistant principal maybe what four or five years ago. And last year was my first full year as principal. I took over in the middle of twenty twenty one, so I've been a principal for a year and a half.
0: So they're seeing something in you to continue to put you in position of higher and a bigger and wider influence, if you will. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's where you are now. I mean, you're running the whole school. You're the principal of this high school, a KIPP high school here in Atlanta, with how many? You said eight hundred and Eight hundred and forty beautiful souls, baby. Eight beautiful souls. You call them scholars. I always love that when I was over there to visit with you. Eight hundred and forty scholars, beautiful souls. Okay, that's a lot of responsibility. What did they see in you that that had? Do you think that they saw in you that that they sort of pulled you along and said, "Man, you need to do this." I, I, I I like the number three.
1: Although I was born on the seventh day of June, that's my favorite number. But I like the number three today. Um. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think the first thing was boldness. Uh, I'm I'm a very bold person. I, I walk in a bold way. Um,
0: the other thing I would does say that mean, is, does that mean that does that mean that they you know who you are? Yeah, is that, that what boldness means? It
1: means that I know who I am and I'm going to boldly stand on what I believe, even if it's okay. not the most popular thing. Right. Good. So. It was it was so a bold. stand for what I believe. I like that. Yeah. Okay. So um boldness and passionate. I'm 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 passionate about what I do. Um <laughs> you know, I'm I'm very That's laid. That's what with,
0: drew me in, that <laughs> passion. I loved it. I yeah, loved like it. I'm
1: I'm I'm very laid back and, you know, soft spoken at times, but when I'm speaking about what I'm passionate about, it comes out. Like,
0: oh, baby.
1: you know, like even in this conversation right now, I, I, I'm very passionate about this conversation about what we're talking about. So I'm a little more, you know, giving and giving a little more umph. but I'm just passionate about what I do every day. Okay. And I think the last thing, I'm very authentic. I'm an authentic person. I'm not going to fake it till I make it. I'm not going to put on a mask to show you somebody that I'm not, you know, like I, I always say I'm not the most polished principle to where I'm going to stand there and speak like this, like I'm going to be me in front of yeah. every stakeholder, because if I can't be myself, then I don't have a, a a place in the room. Like that's not the room for me. So I think it was those three things that um, people saw in me. And I think they saw it in me even before I saw it in myself um, to where I can just name them. and I was like, you know,
0: that's just who I am. Yeah, I think just to be so when you stepped into you. the principal role, mm-hmm. now it's yours. These 840 beautiful souls. I love that. It that, and they're all they're all mini yous, right? You know, come from the same. They came from the same background. They live in the same way. Growing up with the same temptations and opportunities, or lack of opportunity, all there. You see it all. You know it all. What's it? What? What thought did you say? What was the What did you what vision did you have to say as the new leader of this school? Here's what I'm going to do.
1: We're going to walk in our purpose. Um, I, I think that's the first thing that 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 touched my heart is just we're really going to walk in our purpose as a school. Um, OK. And we're going to be the change agents for the community. And we're, we, we will always be that bright spot for our community. No matter the who. cornerstone, yeah. the
0: cornerstone.
1: And, and like, we are the corner, we are the cornerstone. And it's another word in our vision statement that says unapologetically, we're going to do all those things in an unapologetic way. Meaning we're not going to be nice about demanding what we want, what we need, and how we're going to do it. We're going to do it in a bold way. That's where the unapologetic comes from. We're not going to apologize for being who we are, Hmm. which is is why, you know, I think when you was here, we kind of had this conversation around, I really instill self-identity in our scholars in knowing who you are and who you come from and things of that nature. Uh, Because I think that's important. I think that's huge um, because if you don't know who you, who you truly are and where you come from, it's hard to appreciate yourself. You, you know, and as, you know, people of color in this country, one will always think. You know, another
0: way to say that is you have to, you have to look at yourself truthfully. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you, and can't, just, you, can't, you can't put on that. You know, like you said, your third thing and who you are is your, Authenticity, right? I'm Mm -hmm. authentic, right? All right, I'm not going to put it on. So you're asking, you got to start with. I need to know who I am, and I need to face that as the truth, and then move from there.
1: Yeah, but I, I, I also think part of knowing who you are in truth is really digging to the truth of who you are.
0: Uh, Uh And that's that's a that could be dangerous, right? (laughs) Because you might find some things out that. You don't want to own up to, even but, though, you know, you've been keeping, you know, a suppressed. Yeah. But it's, it's like what you don't know, you
1: don't know. So <laughs> if you don't know that it's there, how can you combat it?
0: Yeah. So I can. Well, recover- I'm saying you're right. I I'm, mean, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Yeah. Okay, I'm not saying that you should suppress it because that means you never grow.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And. And that's the work that we do. And I think once we really get to figure out who we are, once we get to figure out our lineage and things of that nature, we can really start to scratch the surface of who we are.
0: So tell me that, you know, I did see that at the school, you know, that first graduating class that you had in that. Was that the gymnasium originally or
1: something? So in the original Turner High School, that was their original gym before they built the gym on the side of the screen and it then turned into the auditorium excuse me right now it is considered the learning commons for us which is where scholars can go study independently or when we bring colleges or the military in to do certain presentations uh, that's where they meet or if you want to do small performances there that's where we meet but yeah. So
0: tell me about that. So tell me about that photograph. That was a photograph of the first graduating high school graduating class, yep. if I remember. Yep. Class of 2015. What did it say? What did it say across? That all these faces, and it was great. I loved being there with you. you. Could just say, "Let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about this lady. Let me tell you about." this. was just beautiful, you know. Everybody has a story. Yeah. You know, what did it say over the middle of that? What so, was the message in the in the in the middle
1: is. Is pretty much a declaration to the ancestors of, of like how you will continue to their, 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 their legacy. Um, Okay. So each kid wrote like a two liner about like what they're going to do to, you know, and continue the the legacy of their ancestors.
0: And what was the legacy of the ancestors? What what was the statement? that's, That's the unique part. Everyone's different. You know, um, I'm, I'm 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 trying to remember. Wasn't there a pre-printed statement there though? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, something about it yeah. came from slaves or something of that nature. No, it's
1: it's like we are the future of the enslaved. It's something like that. I I can't remember. That's the, what it is, the, right?
0: The the is verbiage, but but yes. It, it, and I thought that was interesting because you're giving these kids a message. Okay, you, you, your message to them is is the same message. It's almost like your mother and grandmother gave you. You know. Look at what you can become. Okay. Don't look at where you are. Look at what you can become and where you can go. Right. Okay. So here you are, this ninth grader, not knowing what a passport is, only winding up in South Africa. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) You know? So what's the message that you're giving to these kids? You know, and where do you start it, you know, ancestrally? And how do you build from that? You see? Yeah. So it, See, you're competing with the media. You're competing with the street stuff. You're, you're competing with so many different messages to these kids, you yeah. know, and yet they are your scholars. They are your beautiful souls. So yeah. what's they, they gonna listen to you because you love them. OK, so what is your message to them? So
1: every every morning we start off with a mantra. We have a okay that I wrote. I, I, I get on the intercom when I, you know, say my announcements because I believe in greeting my scholars every morning. Um, and it's a call and response. And I say, who are you? And their response <laughs> is warriors standing on the shoulders of giants empowered by the spirits of our ancestors. And what that first part means is we are standing on the shoulders of everyone who, who may have come before us. In this yeah. school, everyone who may have come before us in this community, um, everyone who have may have come before us, um, figuratively, historically, like the Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X is all those people, and um, those in our
0: lineage. Empowered by All the, spirit. the way down to the lowliest slave. Right. right? That was first generation in America from Africa. Right. Right. Off the, right. And then is
1: empowered by the spirit of our ancestors. So when we cross over into the ancestral realm, that means you are now deceased and we are empowered by this, by, by their spirit, by the work that they did. Because we all have unfinished work, like we always passing the torch or passing up a ton, and that's a way of saying I received up a ton. I'm gonna to carry on the journey because one day I'm gonna pass it on, you know, you know, once my time is up. So that's the first line: uh, how by fulfilling our dreams, sharing our gifts, and respecting ourselves and others. Right. So is uh, everybody has so a it's gift? not just about me right it's right. not just about me No, <laughs> yeah. fulfilling our dreams all of us should have a dream and the minute a kid feel like they can't dream in this school or they stop dreaming then i'm not an effective leader anymore because who am i to 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 put your dream on cease and assist by fulfilling our dreams i mean your dream can and will be fulfilled we're going to give you that confidence and that boldness to walk that your dream will be fulfilled sharing our gifts we all have gifts we, we all do. We have to find out what our gifts is and respecting ourselves and, and, and others. That means don't get cocky. That means don't be arrogant, but we're going to respect each other. Your gift is your gift, and I'm going to respect your gift. You're going to respect mine, right? So that's where that comes from. Um, and then it's like, when is the time to be a warrior? Now. It's hmm. not later. It wasn't yesterday. It's now. It's, Why did well, you choose that word warrior? Because that's 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 our mascot. Oh, okay. our, our mascot right. is a warrior. But I'm glad you brought that up. I don't think anything is by mistake. I don't think it's by mistake that that's our mascot. Because I think, you know, it was ordained that one day I was going to be here doing this work, and I was going to be the leader of this school. Although I wasn't the founding principal, it was placed. And their purpose to make that our mascot. Because this day yeah. we're going to come to where as we will carry out that mission. When it's a time to be a warrior? Now. It's, now is always the time to be a warrior. Because we will always be combating some type of warfare, right? The, the root word of warrior is war. It's always some type of warfare going on. And when do we clock out? Never. We never clock out. The work is never done. When, when do you stop improving yourself, Charlie? Never. You never stop improving mm-hmm. yourself. When, when do you stop um, walking in your purpose? You never stop walking in your purpose. So when do we clock out? Never. And then we end again with who are you? Warriors standing on the shoulders of giants and piled by the spirit of our ancestors. So that's the first thing they learn when they become a scholar of KIPP Atlanta Collegiate. And those are just more than- They hear more. it every morning every morning every, every morning, morning. Okay. every morning so and it's more than just a call and respond it has to be a way of life it has to be who you are you have to truly believe that you really like you really do and the most beautiful part about it is when we in whole group in the gym let's say for a pep rally or something and i'm giving that mantra and all 840 kids high schoolers is screaming that back at you <laughs>
0: That's, that's powerful.
1: Good,
0: that's, yeah. that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. So it must bring tears to your eyes when they scream that back at you.
1: I'm trying to tell you. So that goes back to it's not a paycheck large enough that can replace that feeling. <laughs> you know, and and they, they don't they don't they don't, they don't get me wrong. Now I I I love getting a paycheck. Shoot, I'm I'm yeah. moving to a new house. <laughs> it's like nothing can replace that feeling because they not only are they screaming it, but they believe it. And that's what I mean. by.
0: And there's something that we have. There's no better. And this is the way God, I think made us. There is no more fulfillment in life than to serve others. Yeah. Okay. And particularly young people to see them light up, to see that they have hope, they have a dream. You know, it's uh it just changes everything. It just and, to be a part of that is a gift from God, you know. <laughs> and and let me tell you, I have
1: one, two, three, four, four alumni that I taught that's on my staff. And when we finish this interview, I have one coming in that's gonna interview today that will make five <laughs> on my staff. Oh, wow. So think that's about great. how special that is. These are kids I've taught from fifth grade all the way through 12th grade. And they want to come back and teach and serve the school that they
0: want to be part of the mission, right? Yeah, they they, they are part of the mission. That's You know, one of the things when you talk about those 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 three things where you describe that that sort of morning announcements and, you know, really what it comes back to in your life, it seems to me is your the accountability and loyalty that was instilled in you as a representative of your mother and your grandmother. You know, that's that account that's it's look, it's not just about me. The decisions I make reflect on my ancestors. Right. Okay. Yeah. And they reflect on my current family. They reflect so there's an accountability there beyond myself. OK, that I carry as a man and a woman going into this world, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you've kind of summed it up in a way that's really great. Rent the warrior. And all, but really, that's that's a, that seems to be the foundation or the cornerstone of the idea. But, and it was and it was bred into you at a very early age. Well, I think <laughs> to the fabric of the cornerstone, it's one word.
1: It's one word and it's love. Huh. And um. Of the warrior and all that stuff, and just
0: tell me about that. Tell me about that. The fabric of it, if one—if you had to say one word—is love. Is love. Uh, going back to those uh, announcements,
1: I tell my kids every morning that I love them. <laughs> I in my not seriously. I in my in the announcement in the announcements, <laughs> my closing line, and I promise you, every kid can probably say it verbatim. In case you haven't heard it yet or felt it yet today, I love you. Have a great day. And the reason why I do that is because I didn't exchange I love you that much as a kid. The only time I heard I love you was from my mother. That was the only person that I ever heard I love you from. And it felt awkward even telling my mom that I love her back. It was like, yeah, okay, mom, I know you do. You, my mom. <laughs> But love isn't something that was exuded. Like, you just didn't see it. You didn't hear it. And I did not become comfortable with saying I love you until probably like the age of 25, 26. That's a true story. So when I got into this position, um, it really just started with me saying like, yo, I love y'all. Because I, I just, I feel like people need to hear that. Like, it's it's just important. Especially kids. Right, because I didn't really hear it that much, and when it really hit me was one day I didn't do the announcements. I think I had a meeting or an, an emergency something popped <laughs> off, and I got pulled into a meeting. And my thing was banging on my doors. Teachers was calling my phone like, "Yo, can you tell these kids you love them?" Like they said, well, "Watch don't love us today." Like it's it's. It's true, Charlie, it's true. They was like, yo, can you please? Like, the kids are going crazy. Like, they say, Bob, why?
0: is missing here, right? You know
1: what happened? Yeah. The air left the room. I can't breathe. Tell me I, you love me. Okay. No, and it was why, and I stopped. I stopped what I was doing, and I got on the intercom, and I said, my apologies. I know I did not greet y'all this morning, but in case you haven't heard it yet or felt it yet this morning, I genuinely love you. And when we was getting ready to break for the holiday season in December, you know, a lot of times kids may bring in cards and gifts and things of that nature. But I probably got probably like four or five cards and maybe like five or ten letters from handwritten letters from kids. And in every last one of those correspondence, it talked about you tell us you love us every day and you don't know how much that means to me. And I was, you know, I, I I consider myself to be a tough guy, man. I was in here just crying, just the waterworks. <laughs> it, it was one of those things to where it's something very small, or it may seem very small, but it's huge.
0: And that's a How testimony. So to- oh, it's one thing, you know, it's an easy thing. You know, it's an e- it, it, some people can make it an easy thing to say, and I love you, right? But how do, how do they what is the evidence that they have? If I go to these kids and say, "You know this Boba Wash guy, this pre, this principal of yours, he tells you he loves you. How do you know he's he's for real?" Me. What stories would they what stories might they tell? Well, you know I, I, that- I, 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 I think it's first. just because I know you're on. not going to brag on yourself. So I want you to talk through them. Okay. You follow me? I want them <laughs> yeah. to say, that's what they would say about bubble wash. Yeah. So bubble wash. Is that yeah. it? <laughs> I want to yeah, say Baba. it right. Oh, um, okay. They would probably say, Baba
1: is authentic. First and foremost, he's just an authentic person. So he's not going to say what he don't mean. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's what they know about me. And they're going to say like, he's everywhere. He's everywhere we see him, we know him, he interacts with us, he talks to us, he's in our classes he he um uh, <laughs> he interacts with us um and I show genuine moments of care meaning of what of 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 care and concern okay um you know, I'm authentic, and a lot of them would probably say. It's nothing I probably won't tell him. I I, I feel like I can go to him and tell him anything. He's going to jump right into action and like, try
0: to like figure it out. You told me something about some kid that missed school. Oh, Uh, that he was going to be, and you know, it was towards the end, it was towards the end of school and he was going to graduate and all that. And all of a sudden he decided, I ain't going to do that anymore. Right. It was actually the night that I came to speak to you all. Um, I
1: had took jazz band to, to another function for that same function. Cause remember they had to spread out across the city. Yeah. So I went to go have jazz band perform first. It was at Jones day downtown. So I'm driving through Jones day and a kid darts out in the middle of the street that we in downtown Atlanta. So luckily I wasn't going too fast because it was of like traffic with lights. Baba watch Baba, Baba, like banging on my door. I'm like, what's I see who it is. I'm like, bro, what's going on, man? I ain't seen you in school. Where you been? He like, yeah, it's been hard. You know, I moved out the house with my mom. I'm staying at a few places now. I just got a job. I ain't really been coming to school. I know you disappointed in me, man, but I wanna finish. I wanna finish. So I said, Cool, meet me at school um in the morning. You 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 need to be there at eight o'clock. I said no. The meantime is eight o'clock. He's like, all right. So I said, no, 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 no. Don't say all right. If I say the meantime is at eight o'clock, what time you need to be walking through the door? He said eight o'clock. I said no, no, no. If I say <laughs> the meantime is at eight o'clock, what time should you walk through the door? Seven forty-five. I say, show sure you right. I will see you then at eight o'clock. Go walk through at seven forty-five. So. Needless to say, he had fell behind in some classes and, you know, he, he wasn't going to graduate with his with his with his class. Oh, wow. And I straight up told him, bro, you ain't graduating. So what we going to do? What's the plan? So he did start coming back to school. We put him on a summer plan and he's going to graduate in a couple of weeks now. Oh, but good. It was it's, it's just one of those things to where I don't why know. Why did he
0: why did he come up to the car? And that's the point I was about to get to. I don't that's know. That's the other thing. If I'm if I'm cutting school and I see my principal, yeah, you know, I'm out of here. I don't I don't want am like gonna go like this. I don't want you to see me. Like he ran
1: to me and like That's what I'm saying. It's so odd. How is that? Yeah, and I, I think that's what shook me up the most when I was driving to you all was like how many principals in Atlanta or in Georgia can say that kids are running up to their car that's been skipping school. <laughs> To say, hey, I really want to finish. Like, help me, and I think that's just a testimony to not just the work I've done, but just the work that everybody connected to this school have done. Teachers, front office workers, janitors, lunch people—that's um, great. Other scholars, like that's just like that's just part of our culture. To where it's everybody's gonna love on everybody, and everybody's gonna encourage everyone. So. He wanted to be a part of that, but he also knew that he wouldn't get shunned or judged as well. He knew that he would be welcomed with love as well.
0: Like I had another So i love you, and we're just going to do the next right thing. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. We're not going to review where we were. We're going to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. I love that, which is to show up for an 8 o'clock meeting at 745. Really? I love that story. That was great. <laughs> what about, so you've talked a lot about your vision and your love for these kids. What are their, when you look at your scholars, what are their biggest challenges to kind of make, you know, make your vision for them a reality? You know, what's their biggest challenges that they have given where they live and, uh, you know, their families, background, whatever? I don't really think the biggest
1: challenge is the communities they come from or their family background. The biggest challenge is
0: the confidence, it's the belief in self. Um Yeah, but if you got a family that's sort of denigrating that, right? You know, saying, Ah, eh, you know, look at me, you're gonna be just like me, you know, and you know, that was, you know, like my father who would say he would said to me, he was a blue collar worker, and he said, You know, I didn't go to college, you're not gonna go to college, you know, you're yeah. just gonna get it you know, like, wait a minute, my sister then talked to me and said, No, you can do this. She was eight she's eleven years older than me yeah. and she was Speaking that hope in my life, you know. Yeah. But if you don't have that, you know, that's a. It's tough to kind of muster it on your own. And and I and I think like that's where
1: the whole non-self comes in because the book can stop right there, you know. Yeah. The book can start with like, well, this is who my dad is, so this is who I'm gonna be. Um. But it goes past that, like. I'm. a I'm, I'm more than that. I think it's more in me than that. Uh
0: can't I really do this? And where do they get that mustard seed? Uh, so of that that's that mustard seed yeah, of hope. That's all it is, right? right? So you know, it's one of those things that if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So <laughs> right. um when I was in a
1: classroom, I think the most kids I had in the classroom were like seventy seven, seventy eight kids in the class at one time. So I taught band. So band is a different type of class. You can have more kids in there. Okay. So, but it was still a large, it was large class. You probably shouldn't have too, that many kids in there. But when people used to come to my class to observe, like other teachers or or administrators, they would see the kids that I had in my class. I had the kids that was considered very smart and also had the kids that was considered struggling. Also had the kids that that was considered behavior issues, and they was like, how you get this person to do what they supposed to do? How you get him to stand still? How you get him to sit there and not throw the trumpet at this person? What they was just fighting last week. How they look like best friends. And it's simple, man. It's once you give anybody, anybody a taste of what success feels like, and it can be this big, you're gonna chase that taste. Over and over again. Think about whatever your favorite dish is. Yeah, is a reason why it's your favorite dish. From the moment you first taste it, you was like, oh, oh, this is it. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you, you chase that taste every time. Like at your favorite restaurant, you have what you want. Is a reason why that's the thing. And once you give. Anyone a taste of what success feel like you you want to keep chasing that and then your confidence is built from that because now you see the possibility of I can be successful I can
0: so you set it up that way you set your classes up that way so or the school even that way that they can they can achieve whatever that is that <laughs> smallest piece that little milestone that'll get them to the next bigger milestone and that's and so they're motivated they 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 come to believe right and are they getting that same but are they getting that same sort of uh, encouragement though from home i would like you did like to get, well, you did
1: but i didn't i didn't i didn't always get it i got it in isolated places from my mom and from my okay. grandmother but but i do think that there's a world where it does come from home too and that's just in how we lead our school. We just don't deal with scholars. We deal with every stakeholder. We deal with the parents, the grandparents, the siblings and everything. Like I have P3 meetings monthly. Sometimes it's two P3 two P3 meetings a month. What is a P3
0: meeting? I don't yeah, know what
1: that P3 is. P3 stands for Principal Parents Partnering. Oh, okay. So and I average anywhere between 75 to 120 parents at each of these meetings.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: that's the highest any parent meeting has ever been here in the history of this school. I know because I've been here since day one. They used to average anywhere between five to 20 parents. So now at us averaging 75 to 125 speaks volumes. And in these meetings, I'm very transparent with them. I'm sharing school data from behavior data to academic data uh to everything. And once I share my data, we have a we have a conversation. It's just a conversation like, yo, so what do we do about it? It's not about what I'm gonna do about it. It's what we gonna do about it. Cause we in this thing together. And I don't throw a rock and hide my hand. When the numbers are good, I'm gonna show them to you. When the numbers are not good, I'm gonna show them to you. And it's that level of transparency of where I'm able to get buy-in from my parents because my parents can never say, Wash and tell me. Wash and let me know about this. I'ma show you the i am going i am i am I'ma, I'ma let you smell the clothes when they first come out the dryer with the fabric softener on it, it's all fresh and we all like it and it's warm. And I'ma also show you the, the, the sweaty clothes that we just took off from coming from the gym that's funky. Right? So It's this level of appreciation that comes through uh, just being transparent to whereas they end up getting it at home because I'm being very clear about what we're doing in the school so they can
0: reiterate it at home and, and speak the same language. Are they given, you're given, it. Is the communication this way or is there something that you take back from them? In other words, you're asking them for help. Yeah. You're saying here's the data. I need help. You need to, you need, we need to, uh, you need to, you need to to uh, use the word reiterate, but to, uh, reinforce the message that I'm giving them. You need to give them to my scholars. They're your children. You need to reinforce that message too. What are they saying back to say, but I need your help? Yeah. So what do they, what do they need from the, from this cornerstone, this bright light on a hill? You see? Yeah. So is I just turned back and looked on my board because. I knew at some point you need to look at your notes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really notes. So this I'm only kidding you. I'm only kidding you. Yeah,
1: man. So it's how I live my, my, my principles life. Usually this board is more full because it's a hustle and bustle, but this is the summer and it's still relatively full. Yeah. Right here. You see family trends. So. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Family trends. Yeah. So I label those family trends based off the conversation and feedback I get from parents. So they I'm 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 letting them know how the school is performing from my lens on the inside yeah. and as the leader. And then they're letting me know how the school is performing from their lens as a stakeholder. And I take that back to my staff and I'm very hard nosed about like, yo. This is what our stakeholders have to say about us. This is their experience, and we need to improve it It's, it's a non what
0: is something Can you give me an example of something that they thought that you should improve?
1: yeah so um the 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 three things we have up here are teachers not calling um blackboard use is not consistent, so that's where we put our grades and our assignments in that, okay, and advisors. Or not. that's a software program
0: right yeah. board is working mm-hmm. it. yeah
1: and and advisors are not going over great reports so um that okay that, that, those was huge bits of, of
0: of feedback you know what's really interesting too is that gives that that's a closed loop at that point right mm-hmm. so your teachers are seem to be all doing what they say they are doing you can't follow it down all the way to the student level but certainly these parents come back and say nope Charlie Paparelli, you know that math teacher, he's not using blackboard, right, you know? Yeah. And you, yeah. right and it's like, "Oh man, I got busted." You know, I wasn't even in the meeting. <laughs> yeah.
1: So it is it's a real thing, man, and I really appreciate that they feel comfortable enough being transparent
0: with me. And it's not like a Why did they come back? In? Huh? Why do they come? Why did you go from 5 to 20 in the P3 meetings to now what did you say 100 and how many? 125? 125. I mean, the highest we've got is like 180, I believe. Okay. Why? Why did it go from uh, this group of, say, 15, 20 people to 180? What is, what, what, what all of a sudden pulled the community into the school and they became believers? That's what's happened. They trust you. They believe you love their, their kids. They believe it now, you see? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I believe that came through just
1: action. Like, I'm not just a mouthpiece, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a door. I'm going to roll my suit up and I'm going to get out there and get dirty with you. Um, (laughs) And, and I'm, I'm going to be transparent with you. Meaning like a lot of times parents say like, we, we, we never knew this type of information, you know? So you, you, you giving us these data points and things of that nature, like, thank you. And how can we get involved? How can we, how can we help? So I think just the mere fact that they feel part of the solution and just part of the movement is is is
0: just huge is is You got eight hundred and forty scholars and you get 170, 150, 180 people show up, okay. That's uh, you know, let's say it's ten, twelve per well, that's like twelve, fifteen percent of the uh scholar base, you know. That's a great core, and we and we to kind of to build
1: from you know, and you you also got to think about some of those parents have multiple kids in the building, yeah.
0: so yeah, no, so a lot of them, so there's pretty good representation, mhm, yeah, well, congratulations to you, so tell me this then i'll kind of wind this down a bit here is unless you feel like I missed something, but I'm just wondering now you've been the principal for how long a year and a half. Okay. So a year and a half we always come in as leaders, you know, with high ideals, you know. I know I am. whenever I was put in a new uh, new leadership position it was like, man, here's what it's going to be like. Here's the future. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh what did you learn about what it's going to take to be that light in the community, to be that cornerstone to meet your mission statement of this school? Um i didn't I didn't really have too
1: many expectations
0: uh-huh.
1: I just knew where I wanted us to go so being that I had a destination for us i I backwards planned from there of where I knew I wanted the expectation or the or the, or the destination to be, and that's when I crafted. Expectations for us to reach that destination, if that
0: makes sense. Say it a little differently. I want to make sure that I get it. So you crafted expectations, right? So first, so I had, that, that, that that we would all meet. So this is. It sounds like what I hear you saying is you're trying to get all of the teachers and all of the staff behind and the and the parents behind this vision,
1: right? So it. I guess I came into it with this idea of a destination of where we're going and where I wanted the school to be. I wanted us to really, truly be this cornerstone. I really wanted us to be this ray of hope uh, Uh, for the community. So once I knew what the, what I wanted the destination to be, I then I backwards planned and I created expectations so we can get to that destination.
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah. So you've got this, you got a goal, you got a strategy and then you have the plans to sort of get there. Right. Okay. And and and, That's the way you've got to have a clear goal and a clear vision as a leader in order to get everybody behind it. Right. And and moving in that direction. And and, that's the power. Yeah.
1: And, and to be quite honest with you, Charlie, what I told people day one and what I'm still going to tell people today. And I'm going to tell you this, I don't know what I'm doing as principal. I haven't, mm-hmm. I have not figured it out. I could write a book or create a blueprint on how to be an effective, successful principal. And I love it that way.
0: The reason why I love it. I just it- want to say, I want to tell you, I'm laughing at you, but I'm really laughing with you, not at you. <laughs> and the reason is, I always say, I, I've been an angel investor. Okay. This is mm-hmm. investing in companies and entrepreneurs for a, a little over 30 years. And I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. I'm not one of those guys that said, oh yeah, I've been successful. If you just do these five things, you've got it nailed, buddy. Okay. I don't have that. Yeah. I'm, I don't. I just like, everything seems to me like a new blank canvas, you know, when I, when I get involved. Yeah. And here you are saying the same thing. So tell me about, tell me why you carry that same, that same sort of angst us, you know, it's sort of a. <laughs> It's a confidence, but a lack of confidence, you know? <laughs> so this this is the unique thing right
1: here. And I remember I was talking to a new assistant principal last year. And they was telling me, I don't know how to, be, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm saying, that's a great thing. And she looked at me like I was crazy. Like, yo, what is wrong with you? I said, I don't know what I'm doing as principal either. And I don't want to ever figure out. I don't, I, I don't ever want to get to a place where I feel like I know how to be an effective principal. And the reason why is the moment I reach that destination, I don't feel like I will have anything else to offer. I will stop striving. I will stop trying to learn. I will stop pushing myself. I will come complacent. But as long as I stay in this place. And you'd
0: be close to, and you're close to new ideas. Yes. You're closed to other opportunities. You're close to, yeah, because we have, it's in other words, I come up with the recipe. I've got it on this page. Okay. That's it. Don't add to it. It's like the word of God. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Yeah. It's all right. Right. And we know better than that. Right. There's so much more. Yeah. So
1: that's how I walk. That man. is so beautiful. Yeah, man. That's that's how I, I never want to figure this thing out. I want to continue to attempt to figure it out. And once I figured, once I feel like I figured this thing out, I think that's my expiration date. Like that's when it's time for me to tap out and pass it on to someone else. But I I love being a a continuous learner. Um, I love figuring things out and just the whole journey along the way.
0: Just writing down here, some of this, what, as we end this is to say, what did, what attributes do you have as a leader that are so valuable? Okay. And just this, these are just my observations. Okay, that doesn't mean this is the finite list, all right? But (laughs) but what I see is one and it comes what the first one comes from your mom. I got a ninety-three, ain't that great? Well, why didn't you get a ninety-five? Right? Your mom had these this always setting the bar high. She had high expectations for little Arthur okay. She had high expectations you carry that you have very high expectations you know as a leader that is so incredibly important that you could we could always do more the second thing is we just talked a moment ago is there's always something to learn man there's just such there's, there's so many good ideas then on how we could become so great and meet those ex- meet and exceed those expectations and the last thing was This ancestral responsibility. You're in it for all of us. You're not in it for you. Yeah. You carry a great burden, just like we all do, but together we carry the burden. Okay. And uh, that is great leadership principles that you exhibit there. So thank you. Wash, man, you're the man, brother. You're doing some great work over there. You really inspired me. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. I'm still trying to figure this thing out, man. But you know. Well, stay that way until the day that you die, okay? Because that's uh that's what makes life interesting. And it also keeps us dependent on God, right? Oh yeah, most most definitely and,
1: and definitely staying anchored anchored in love, man. I think that's the most that's the most
0: important thing, man, because love comes comes from God, right? You know, God is love, so do you ever find yourself – that's interesting. That, that was one thing that struck me. I, I do have to ask you this one more question. Do you ever have people – you said that if I had to sum up that cornerstone, the fabric of that cornerstone, I think is the wording that you used. Yeah. In one word, it's love. Yep. Okay? My question is, is did you – do you ever call pull that card, okay, when someone is not exhibiting that? Do you say – You know, I had one guy once tell me um, we were in a ministry meeting and we walk out of the meeting and it was a, it was just a, just, it was like a a brawl in the meeting. Okay. (laughs) So it was the way people were treated. And the guy walked out and he said to me, one of the board members, he said, I did not see any of the fruit of the spirit in that room. Okay. (laughs) So, do you ever have that moment where you walk out of a meeting, or you see somebody saying something to a kid, or you, a teacher, or a parent doing, so, and say, "Look, we're about love," and I'm not seeing that? Have you ever had those conversations? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and 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 I'm I'm glad you raised that question
1: because if I don't have those conversations, I have to ask myself, "Am I being authentic to myself?" Oh,
0: that's great.
1: And then that's great. Am I being that bold, passionate leader that people saw in me? Don't remember those three attributes I said: boldness, passionate, and authenticity. If if I'm if I'm not saying that, then I'm not being authentic to have that conversation. Because my silence means it's a, it's it's accepted. It's okay.
0: It's okay. Yeah, that's right. And it's not. You got to step in on the big things. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Yeah. So, and uh, like authentic. you said, I'm yeah. bold, baby, bold, passionate, and authentic. Yeah. And you know what that means? If you're going to follow me, you need to be bold, passionate, and authentic. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Because, and if you're not, you need to find another place. Yeah. Okay. And I boldly said that too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, uh, Baba. Ba- it's Baba, right? Baba Wash? Yep, Baba. Baba Wash, you are really something. I wish you thank the best, you. really, for your upcoming school year. Thank and, you so uh, much. And please pass on my congratulations to that young man who stopped you in the street who's going to actually graduate at the end of the summer. Will do. Will do. Yeah. That is quite an accomplishment. You yes, know. it is. And we look yeah. forward, I look forward to continuing to support you and the school and KIPP in general. Thank you so much. Okay, thank I think you can count on that from me and Kathy. I definitely so, appreciate it. Thank you. Kathy. All right, well, uh, just hold one second and I'm going to close this out here. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks for uh, joining me and Bubble Wash here on the Charlie Paparelli Show. I hope you pulled out as much information about what it means to be a great leader and how to love uh, and part of being a great leader is really the center point is to love those that you serve and to have a clear vision to bring along all those that you serve with. So thanks for joining us. Uh, Please sign up at paprelli.com and we'll see you next time.